There are more wealthy people today than ever before in the history of the world. The risks they are exposed to through the assets they acquire and their unique lifestyles are significant. The bigger the asset, the bigger the potential loss. The bigger the potential loss, the more complicated the mechanisms for protecting those assets becomes. This show seeks to uncover the risks that successful people face so we can provide some guidance towards minimizing, mitigating, and transferring them. From coverage, contracts, and carriers, to client experience, technology, and claims, we will cover it all. Whether you're an agent looking to hone your skills or someone with significant wealth to protect, I hope this show becomes a valuable resource you can come to rely on to help you protect yourself, your family, and your clients. Welcome to the Private Client Risk and Resilience Podcast. My name is Kurt Turnison, and I am a personal risk advisor at Erickson Insurance Advisors in Washington, Connecticut. And in addition to that, I am also the CEO and founder of Risk Review, which is a technology company focused on helping agents streamline the data gathering process at renewal for new business and service transactions. So welcome to the show, everybody who's tuning in. I'm very glad to have you here today, and I'm really looking forward to our conversation today. I have an amazing guest. Paul Buse uh, has been an industry veteran and still is uh, for over 30 years uh, in various roles, uh, whether it's at an insurance company, a reinsurance company, uh, for a national association, uh, and now with his own consulting company, uh, he's been adding value and, and building things in our amazing industry for many, many years. Uh, so I'm really excited to share his expertise with you, his knowledge, his experience uh, in talking about you know what he's excited about and, and potentially what's to come. Uh, and also, uh, Paul does a lot with data analysis, uh, which is something that you know I, I dabble in and have dabbled in over the years. Uh, but Paul's a real uh, a real expert in that area, and so. Looking forward to hearing his thoughts on how we can use data uh, in today's world, because, you know, it's certainly a big buzzword. But um, so thanks for being here today, Paul. Welcome to the show. Glad to be here, Kurt. And so just like in, in uh, some of our previous episodes, I'd like to start off just with a, a quick overview of who you are. And, you know, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself, your career and and what you're doing today that, that's exciting? Um, glad to do that. I think it's helpful. To, to know the background, because I think it's helpful for people to understand where I come from and um, then how I got some of my technical skills and then um, where I went from there. I think that gives a good background into the work that I'm doing now and, and what I'm really enjoying doing um, and why I enjoy doing it. But but it all starts with, um, you know, you go to college and um, I had an undergrad in business um, administration management uh, from the University of Wisconsin. Graduated in 82, which was those of us who are around then remember it well. It was, it was the greatest recession after the Great Depression. And it was a, it was a interesting time with high interest rates still very much prevalent. Um, so when I graduated, I ended up working at an independent agency, as many of us do, kind of fell into it. Um, enjoyed the work, enjoyed the legal aspects of insurance contracts and all that. And I did that for about four or five years. And then um, ended up um, going back to get my MBA in finance and risk because I was at the University of Wisconsin as my undergrad. It's a great place to get 
the graduate degree. I mean, there's degree. There's, I mean, there's Wisconsin and the Georgia schools, Florida State, Warden, Ohio. The Big Ten schools tend to have risk departments. But Wisconsin's a great one, well known. So it was real easy for me to go back. In fact, I did that while I was an agent. Um, so picked up some of the technical risk management finance stuff. And then when I left there, I went to work with an actual risk consulting firm in Washington, D.C., right in the middle of the hard market of the mid-80s, which was like a very interesting time to be in Washington, D.C. with associations because everybody turned their associations to look for insurance solutions. So mm -hmm. here I am, I'm working you know, with an MBA, but I'm working with actuaries and starting self-insurance programs for associations. The Bankers Association was a big part of what we did on that team, but also municipalities and um, the investment company industry. So um, 12 years of that actuarial type consulting taught me a lot of tricks, right? You hang with actuaries, you learn you learn some of the tricks of the trade. And of course, you're working with clients, so you have to understand the, the subject matter. Well, part of that work was with the American Bankers Association. And that brings us to another historical event, which was the big banks and insurance fight between banks and independent agents, right? Banks wanted in, independent agents weren't thrilled about them being there. Um, but I got involved with the Independent Agents Association through that banking connection, and ultimately then went to the big eye, helped them really formalize their for-profit operations over the next 22 years. Um, and so it went from, from kind of science to the applied, right? So you, you consult on this stuff, and then all of a sudden you're at the association, which kind of feels like a wholesaler. Hmm. Um, tons of fun stuff there. I mean, we started a reinsurance company. We were a wholesaler. Big Eye Markets, some of your member agents or some of the member agents who are, are your followers will probably be familiar with uh, the ROI personal umbrella program. Now, Paul, you know, I I, I recognize the, um, the transition there. There's a transition because you said, you know, you were on the consulting side for many years. And then going over to the big eye, it was more practical use of, you know, of working at the client uh, and with the client. And, and that's your full time gig. You know, how how was that different? Was it um, was it a, a big learning curve at that point or uh, were you able to just apply everything you knew right away? Yeah, well, it's, it's the difference between advice um, and implementation. But the National Association that sits behind most of the big, well, sits behind the big I state associations in a lot of ways, the, the insurance agency, you know, program is a great example, um, does a lot. I mean, they're a licensed entity in all 50 states in the District of Columbia, PNC, surplus lines, life and health. We are registered investment advisors. So the difference is from theory to practice, right? So you're, you're used to setting that stuff up and then all of a sudden you end up at a, organization that's going to really take that forward. Um, and so I think that was the biggest difference. Um, and then just hanging out with independent agents, right? So the 12 years, I started out as an independent agent, the 12 years as an actuary is more on the customer side. Hmm. If you think about things like someone who's starting a risk retention group, usually isn't the agent, it's an association. So left, left that world of, of theory to practice. But the other big change in, in the part that I loved was working with Folks like Erickson Insurance, right? Um, and the banks, Washington County Bank. I mean, as I go back to that consulting time, that was actually an endeavor that we worked on was, was um, your agency in that bank a long oh, time wow. ago. We're thinking about getting together. Yeah. So it's, yeah, insurance is a small world, especially if you know a lot of agents. 
it's an ex- extremely small world and especially uh, in the different niches and you know every every industry every uh practice has a niche i mean in ours is private client but uh you know you talk about risk retention groups captives you know those are uh individual niches as well uh where it's a very small world <laughs> good indeed point. yeah uh, and so, you know, and and just to take a step back even before this, because, you know, before you went to college, before you got your MBA, uh, and this is great on your website, you have a section uh, where you say there's big learnings from the little jobs. And then you list several li- little jobs that you had growing up, which I thought was really uh, a fun but interesting uh, observation, you know, uh, for you to put on your site, you know, some of the jobs and you can you can tell us, but, you know, it's like. Uh, lawn lawn service, you know, uh, shoveling snow, and that was my favorite. It was like, uh, what did you say? It was like, you know, it's profitable as long as you have your dad's snowblower. Yeah, I know. <laughs> it teaches you leverage, right? You're leveraging the your dad's six and a half horsepower snowblower, and you can do a lot of driveways. And, and it snowed a lot more in Wisconsin back. That's where I was from, Wisconsin. Oh, in those days, I bet you were I mean, raking was, it in. <laughs> Cash cow, cash cow. No, the the job that I think I learned the most from, and I think is a loss for every generation between mine and something after mine, but the loss of having a paper route is an unbelievable skill for, for someone who's a teenager to have, right? You've got accounts receivable, you have to go collect, you have to be on time, deliver the papers. If you want tips, put them inside the, the person's screen door. Um, but that's a literal small business that, that doesn't happen anymore with, with kids, right? Where you have to go collect the money and you're responsible for the payment mm-hmm. at an apartment route. You're yeah. always worried about someone who would leave and not pay you, right? Because you only made it a couple of pennies on each paper. And if right. they left your profits for delivering their paper for a year went with them. Terrible. Uh, one of my favorite movies is better off dead. John Cusack and there's there was a kid at the beginning of the movie and he had a paper route and it was just a recurring theme throughout the movie that he would be chasing John Cusack's character he's like I want my two dollars for the paper that he delivered you know he's trying to get accounts receivable <laughs> so uh, true so did you ride a bike to deliver mm-hmm, I did yeah our our route was um about a mile and a half away and it was a morning route nice I've always been a morning person so it was no problem but but I kept that route. I kept it all the way into high school because it was just cash cow, and you could do it before you went to school. So, yeah, I used to ride my eye, my eyelids used to freeze shut in the winter because your your eyelashes would freeze in the cold. And um, yeah, it was a good it was a good up uh, upbringing um, experience. And did you have to uh, buy your bike, work to buy the bike as well? Because you have to you have to do uh, you have to have the equipment so you you can run the business. It was a crappy bike. I mean, it was just a bike with lots of racks on it. It was cheap. The very first good bike, I've always been a bicyclist. My very first good bike was bought with paper out money, though. It was a big deal back in the day. You know, the first, you know, with 10 speed, the whole thing. It was a big, big purchase. Do you remember, like, the brand name of it, the color, all that? Yeah, it was an Araya. Yeah. And um, interestingly enough, coming from Wisconsin, it wasn't a Trek. I bought a Japanese bike, which I kind of bemoaned to this day. I should have bought the track because yeah. the trucks were well made and they were made in Wisconsin, yeah. literally made in Wisconsin back then. Oh, wow. Yep. Now we have a truck in the garage. It's my wife's. Uh, actually, two trucks. 
good bikes. They last a long time, but that's, that's yeah. fascinating. Um, yeah, uh, that's, uh, it's, it's a good job. And I agree. Uh, one that I'm glad you, you stuck with it. My paper route was in the back of a, a truck. Uh, we actually drove around in a truck and we would hop out when we got to the location, deliver the paper and then keep going. Um, but it was a, it's an early morning job. And I, and you mentioned you're a morning person. I'm a morning person too. Uh, it gets harder and harder as I get older to be a morning person, but still try. Uh, so that's great. So let's get back to insurance. Uh, I mean, I love the, I love the, the stories like that, but, um, so talking about, uh, data and cause you're doing a lot with data these days. And I see you posting a lot of, uh, charts, uh, that you're analyzing the data for. Tell us a little bit about that. Cause you know, you're looking at these different data sets. Where do you get the data, you know, and what what are you doing with it? What kind of uh, learnings are you looking to glean from this this uh, information? Yeah, so our industry is so rich with data. And, and part of what you're involved with is the, the agent control data. Most of the work that people will see if they follow me on LinkedIn or if they receive the publications that, that I author it's all about statutory industry data. So all of the almost 3,000 insurance companies are highly regulated by our state insurance-focused uh, regulatory system. So the NAIC formalizes and standardizes that, but every insurance company has to file an annual report and quarterly reports. And they file that with the domicile and where they're located, but they're all, they're uniform. There's specific instructions. So the data that I work with is what I would refer to as statutory data because it comes through that process. I access the data through AMBEST. There's other ways that you can get access to this data. There's other resellers of the data and they purchase it from the NAIC because from each state regulator, if it's Acuity Mutual in Wisconsin, they file their statutory data with the Wisconsin Insurance Commissioner. Wisconsin Insurance Commissioner sends it through a pipeline that's formalized to the NAIC. The NAIC takes all of those from the 50 states and the District of Columbia and Puerto Rico and, and Guam and Virgin Islands. I think that's all of them. Um, and puts that all together. And then there's people who gather the, 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 you know, the unfiltered data and make it available to people. AM best is what I use. Um, so that in, in having the background of, of, knowing how to manipulate that data and working with the actuaries and having a CPCU. So I've got some formal training along with the experience. I know my way around the annual statutory statement and the quarterly statements, um, which kind of brings me to when you see things on LinkedIn, it's either something that I'm just interested in, but more likely someone who's listening to the podcast will see my work through the Big Eye State Annual Marketplace Summary or the quarterly summaries. I do that for 40 states and the National Association. I do the national version um, starting last year. And so I take data, all that data. Yeah, and this yeah. data, it's it's like premium volumes for the carrier. It's loss information. It's uh, cost of goods sold, you know, what their uh, their expenses are. It's it's just a full annual report, quarterly report for that business. Is that That's what you're looking at? Correct. And it's the, the property casualty side. There's a, there's a, there's a flip side to our coin in this industry, which is the, the life and health and annuities and the health insurance 
companies have a similar thing, but the work I do is in the property and casualty side. And uh, yes, it's all of those things. So it's the written premiums and the loss ratios and the various lines of business. The the tagline of my business is shedding light with industry data. Um, because what I knew from my consulting background and what I knew from working on more of an owned, I didn't own the business at the big eye, but I was more of a, you know, I, I worked there, I lived there, I lived and breathed it, so I owned it. But using the industry data was a huge advantage for us in looking at how we did our business at the the big eye for profit. And so my goal is shedding light with that industry data for individual agencies. And that's what I'm working on with the big eye states is what can help an agent better understand their marketplace, the lines of business that they specialize in, and who's you know active in that that space. How are their loss ratios going? Um so the 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 big breakthrough three years ago, I was working with um, Dave Hulcher, who's the association executive in Kansas, who had been talking with Carol McClellan, who's the so she she just recently retired executive in Nebraska, and they had always done a kind of state specific insurance marketplace summary for their members, and um, in conversations with them, I was like, I'm ideally situated to help you with that, um, and so I started with theirs and. You know, three years later, now I'm at 40 states. I think I'm 39. 40 will probably come um, in the next the next year. Um, but the big thing for an agent is getting that state-specific data. It's everything that would have helped me immeasurably when I was a starting insurance agent in Wisconsin. Mm-hmm. I couldn't have told you if there was more commercial auto or work comp or homeowners was bigger than personal auto which is absolutely and perfectly clear to you with three minutes into this PNC marketplace summary that I do for the big eye states. And I love the conversations I have with agents where they're just like I was, they're going like, you know, we always see the national data, but in the back of our mind, we're going like, well, what's it like in South Dakota? What's our biggest line of business? And so that that's very, very um, helpful. I think to the individual agent. And then, um, Working with data always creates questions, and the data oftentimes has the answers to sharpen your strategy, to find a new market, or to do something that you just never thought of, right? Well, and that's a a great question. That's a great point there. Uh, So let's dive in a little bit. So the way I understand what you're saying is that, you know, you are working with the big eye state associations uh, and up to 40 right now. And let's take Connecticut, for example, or New York, and you'll work with that state association, pull in all the carrier data for that state. So 100 100 or so carriers. Uh, and you'll pull in the premium volumes for all the lines of business, homeowners, valuable articles, auto, umbrella, watercraft, whatever it is. And then be able to put it into an Excel sheet so that you can compare, you know, line, you know, one line to a different line. Homeowners is this percentage of the marketplace, auto is this percentage of the marketplace, so on and so forth. And then sharing that with uh, the association who then can share it with their members uh, so that their members can then use that data to, you know, so so say Erickson Insurance looks at our state specific marketplace summary and we see, you know, homeowners is 40% of the market, auto is 
35%, so on and so forth. Uh, and then we can judge, you know, we can glean something from that. Uh, and then, and then do, I guess, make strategic decisions on marketing, advertising based on that data. Is that where we're going with this? Yeah. So there's, it's, it's really quite, um, it's, it's deeper than, than you might think if you've not looked at the reports because each line of business, which is statutorily defined, how these insurance companies have to report it. And there's actually a lot more insurance companies than you would think that are active in Connecticut. I, I don't know if it's, Eight or nine hundred um, that that do some business of some kind in a state um, like Connecticut. Hmm. Um, out of those three thousand, there's some carriers that are state specific and some not. But the data, um, a couple of important things is it 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 breaks the data out into who the independent agency focused carriers are, and who the direct writers are and the exclusive carriers are, and you get those top carriers. So if you didn't know who the top exclusive carrier was in Connecticut, you probably could guess. Um, and I'm guessing it's State Farm. I don't have I don't have Connecticut in front of me, but that sort of data you can easily find out. And what was their loss ratio in the the last year? Um, but but all of those those um 25 plus lines of business are all given to you as an independent agent. You can look at those. You can see the five year premium trend. You can see the penetration of independent agents as part of that premium trend, you can see what the loss ratio was for all of the carriers together. You can see how much of the line of business was surplus lines, which is very helpful to someone like, like you, who let's say you've got an affluent account and it's in the one or 2%, I'm guessing in Connecticut, that actually needs a surplus lines policy to get done what they need to get done on their homeowner's policy. Well, you're very well positioned with that data to say, you know, you're an exception to the rule. Let's talk about the slightly less regulated part of the market that we have to go to to solve your problem. And it's very important that you read your policy. It might be something that you would tell your client. Um, and if you have any questions, I can help you with those. Um, but that sort of data, there's a lot there. The average commission by line of business is provided. There's there's data that people just don't realize is readily available. Um, and you can't put everything that everybody wants in, in one report. Mm-hmm. But the awareness that it's there is huge. Right. Because then people start thinking about, well, how do I get it for this company? Right. right. This specific company kind of thing. Yeah. No. And, and as you're talking, I'm, you know, I'm starting to think too how I would use that data. You know, it's, um, you know, direct carriers, captive carriers, the independent agent penetration and the five year trend. And looking at the trend, you say, okay, you know, uh, you know, uh, 10 years ago, agents, we're losing market and now they're gaining market, you know, whatever, if that's what the data indicates. And you're like, okay, well, why are we gaining market share now versus then? What's different? And maybe you can find that answer in the data or somewhere else. Uh, but those, um, but I think what you, what I'm getting is, you know, once you get into the data and you start thinking about it as you're looking at it, uh, it really helps uh, the brain move and start bringing some of these ideas to light. Yeah, absolutely. And then uh, from that annual marketplace summary, several of the states asked me to expand into the quarterly marketplace summary because the annual is a little bit of a retrospective study. There's a lot more data and a lot more detail in May of 2023, May, June, when the 2022 PNC marketplace summary comes out for the national and how many other states sign up to do that with me. Um, 
It tells you what happened in 2022. Well, that was six months ago. That's best case scenario, six months old. They really wanted to look at, well, what do the quarterly reports show in terms of what's happening now? And that's a little bit newer um, endeavor. But the quarterly data is fascinating, particularly in you and I have chatted a little bit about Florida. But it can show you and in, in, in tip an agent's um, understanding towards more understanding in terms of what's happening. Like, for example, the, the big company in Florida, the public entity, the fair plan of the way I used to think of things. Um, is Citizens Insurance Company, Citizens Property Casualty Insurance Company. They're growing like crazy after they shrunk out of public policy. Everybody wanted it to shrink as a public option. They wanted it to be an alternative, not a primary carrier, where with all the problems in Florida, they've grown very quickly. And you can see that in the quarterly data in this year, 2022. You can see that from the third quarter data. Mm-hmm. Um so that quarterly data is interesting. There is some loss data in there. It's mostly premium focused that you can see the trends, who's growing fast. Um, and then you can dissect it a little bit. Like if you've got a key competitor in a niche and, and you can see in the quarterly data, they're growing fast, or maybe they're experiencing some loss ratio problems. It might be a competitive opportunity for you. So that right. sort of thing well, starts and- to... And, and I was I saw that post this morning and the data for citizens and you can see in 2017, you know how it dramatically their premium volume dropped uh, because of the public policy and the and the law changes. Uh, and then today, you know where there's uh, a greater need for that. So and I I just think maybe there's probably a lot of similarities between citizens. Uh, wind insurance and homeowners insurance to the national flood insurance program and how that's changed over the years. You can see how they've said, okay, we want to, you know, uh, you know uh, cut the number of policies we have uh, over a certain period of time. And then a storm hits and then the number of policies goes up again. So it's, uh, it's public policy can change things, but then storms can change them back uh, and losses can change them right back. It's very interesting. Every good issue, every good issue out there right now is in play in Florida, including the recent legislation and what it did to fix the um, the legal situation there. But the the charging of actuarial rates from a public option is a very important thing, or too many premiums will flow the direction of the public option. But the losses have to be paid for, and if you don't collect enough premiums, ultimately you've got a a public problem. Mm-hmm. Um, so. Well, and that's what happened with the legislation that just passes. They now have a state-funded reinsurance option of a billion dollars. So, you know, taxpayers are going to be funding the insurance market for the you know for the near future. I don't know exactly how it's going to work. Uh, whether that's going to be a, a fee added to every homeowner's insurance policy, or you know, in Connecticut we have a state charge of twelve dollars uh, for crumbling foundations. You know, so I don't know if it's going to be similar to that or or something else. Uh, but you're right. You know, ultimately the insurance has to get paid, or the you know the money has to get paid somehow. And if the insurance Indeed. companies aren't doing it, someone else is. Going Somebody to has to. Yeah, the Connecticut Foundation problem is an interesting. I wonder if like I don't know as much about it, but uh, talking one day um, over lunch with Chris Paradisio. Yeah, about it. He was explaining it to me. I was unaware of it because I don't live in Connecticut and it's kind of a Connecticut specific one, but fascinating how that public policy had to step in for what became an uninsurable risk. 
Right. Well, and, and we're in a fat, like you said, we're in a fascinating time period. You know, you went through it in 82 uh, with the hard market then, and we're in a hard market now getting harder all the time with these different issues, whether it's Florida or California. Uh, uh, I see even issues of uh, that are affecting it uh, in New York, in New York City. And uh, it's just, it, it's a fascinating and difficult time. I mean, you think about in Florida, some of these companies that are going into receivership, bankruptcy, and you're having, as an agent, you're having to now place a thousand, a hundred policies that are being canceled. You have to place them with a different carrier. Uh, it's it's a tough time to be an agent. And I wonder if you have any uh, any thoughts, you know, compared to, you know, if you compare uh, the 82 hard market to today, if there's anything uh, that you could share along those lines, what's to come? Well, well, having lived it, lived through it, I, I, I definitely can share some thoughts and maybe some cautionary notes. But, but overall, I'm extremely bullish and, and um, positive about independent agent prospects in the markets coming forward, uh, the marketplace coming forward. Um, to, to be precise, I mean the, the the kind of the benchmark of when the hard market in the mid 80s was at its worst, I think was at the very, there's a Time Magazine cover where if you search for it, you'll find it. But basically it says, America, your insurance has been canceled. And it was either 86 or 87. And that took a while. So the hard market was was gaining momentum and, and building, making insurance very difficult to buy it for public entities and a host of other amenities and prices were going up. Um, dramatically for everybody. Um, so the the thing that that I'm optimistic about is problems in insurance agents are a great fit. Independent agents are a great fit. I should have said independent because I think that's important. I think the other solutions, the distribution of insurance that aren't independent, that don't have choices, have a harder time solving problems. And independent agents are going to be facing with their clientele, as you just spoke to, more and increasing problems. The, the volatility of weather, the concentration of value in what my professor used to call interesting places to live. It's fun to live in interesting places, right? Living on the beach is great, but it's also riskier. So too is living in a less protected fire area in any part of the country. Um, so fire risk and, and wildfire, and, and then you have if you have dry climate, then you have wildfires, all those things. Agents, independent agents are better suited to solve those. That's my positive note. My cautionary note is, is that we as an industry have to be good. And we have to find solutions maybe where they don't exist. That's what jumps out at me in my humble beginnings in the 80s was you can measure it in a number of different ways. But for a decade or more, I'll go out on a limb and say half of the overall marketplace left independent agents. It's probably 40%. And that's because we didn't have the solutions from our insurance companies. And the insurance companies, we were charging too much. And risk managers and all these people got together and said, you know, we can't buy DNO insurance. We'll start our own insurance company. Well, when they start their own insurance company, unless an agent helped them start it, there may or may not be any Access, access to that product for other agents. And so we have to be careful as we go into these problems in times of volatility going forward that we're the tip of the spear on these solutions. Otherwise, we'll lose market share or we won't gain as much market share 
as as we might have otherwise. Yeah, and then I mean, we see that today in the private client space where we are losing market share uh, to the direct channels, uh, to self insurance, and the the term captives have been thrown around, and clients are talking about setting up captives to insure these you know significant properties that are very high valued and uh and so you know my personal experience i've had clients that have uh left to go to direct markets because those markets are providing a solution uh and whether or not it's the best solution it's a solution uh that's that's providing what's needed at the time whether it's to close a loan uh, or to get you know at least some coverage you know because in some instances there is no coverage available so it is um I, I I think you're exactly right. I I too am, am bullish on the agent, the independent agent, and their value proposition in today's market. Um, I think finding solutions is our expertise, our our, our greatest value, and uh, and we have um, the ability to do that. We just need uh, the insurance companies and uh, uh, and even the um, entrepreneurs out there. You know, people who are uh, very excited about technology and bringing technology to our industry today, it, it might not be only about technology. It's also about developing product. It's also about developing markets uh, that are designed differently. Uh, a client of mine was saying, there's got to be a way to write wildfire insurance in California. There's got to be some carrier who can figure it out. I'm like, okay, yeah. Um, I, I don't know who it is, <laughs> but... Yeah, that would be great. Well, and it, and then um, you think about how those problems ultimately get solved. They either get solved through some brute force method or, or someone innovates, right? So the ability to underwrite, and let's not forget about the loss control part of a risk management equation where um, there's been a couple of agents that I've talked to and one group of agents that are interested in potentially tearing a page out of the book of some of the largest insurance companies that um, exist today, whether it be Erie Insurance Company or Farmers or USAA and, and interlocal risk um, exchange and the ability for an agent to be at the center of that to start it because you can underwrite better, you can get a better potential group of insureds. And if they become almost in a mutual concept, part of the risk sharing mechanism, and you can do that, you can solve a solution for fire risk. But but I don't think you just want to blanketly write fire risk without knowing what the risk of each property is, right? So you have to underwrite better. So there's a lot of conversations there, but that's an example of where independent agents are stepping into the void and saying, if we don't do something, either the directs or the captives are going to figure it out and take it from us, or all these policyholders are going to do like history has shown us, the policyholders will get together. I mean, there's a lot of farm mutuals in the upper Midwest that were started by farmers who couldn't buy insurance in Wisconsin, my home state, Iowa. Um, and that was a failing of the industry at that time. And so they formed their own insurance companies, some of which exist today. Um, so we we can be part of that. And, and I think agents need to think about that. Um, and I think we'll have the opportunity to do that because I think problems in homeowners is one area that I'm looking at and with the challenges of secondary perils, the tightening of the reinsurance market in places like Florida, but not just Florida, think about all the Western state fire risks. Mm -hmm. um, there, there's room for innovation, but it, but it won't happen by itself. 
I agree. And and I think um, public policy has a lot to do with it uh, because there has to be incentive uh, for some of these things to happen. And a good example is in Florida. Uh, there was a law passed, I think it was last year, that said, you know, it'll give a certain amount of money to homeowners who do, who proactively do hurricane risk mitigation. Uh, and it ha- you have to meet certain eligibility requirements. Uh, but that is a you know example of public policy supporting you know the insurance industry and and helping homeowners better protect their homes. Uh, another one is in South Carolina, I believe it is. They have a uh, similar to an HSA health savings account. They have a catastrophe savings account. You know where you can uh, save on a pre-tax dollar for potential you know loss dollars, and, and so things like that. Uh, you know California is doing things like that as well. Uh, but the, there is public policy that's supporting and incentivizing these different things. And I think it probably all comes back to uh, some actuary or some data analyst who's looking at the data and saying, okay, you know, this is a problem. This is a trend. We got to figure out how to do that. And, and, and maybe there was some of that involved in the, in the recent legislative session down in Florida, you know, trying to figure out what to do. Uh, you know, how, how do we fix the, the Florida insurance market? They looked at the data. They said, "Okay, seventy-six percent of the litigation uh, it, uh, for the insurance industry on homeowners' claims is in Florida. So that's where we got to focus. <laughs> that's where we got to find yeah. a solution." Uh, you know, and, and that's um, so. I had a question for you that I wanted to pose, and, and this is more of a fun question because I'm an Excel, you know, nerd, and I think you might be as well. Uh, but what is your because you work with Excel to do a lot of this analysis? Mm-hmm. And um, so as agents, you know, if they're using Excel today, great. If they're not uh, and they want to do some analysis of their own data, uh, what's one of your favorite formulas or functions to use in Excel to to design your uh, your spreadsheets? Oh, that's so funny. It goes back to um, that you would ask that. And I would have a um, an environment where I could even stretch my mind to where it came from and the actuary's name and taught it to me. Um, it's a little bit wonky and it's, it's, um, tricky, but I, I used to feel like I should have a t-shirt that said my favorite, um, formula is indirect address, indirect address, which the indirect formula is the, the essence of that. But when you've got a spreadsheet with, let's say 51 tabs in it for each of the states in the district of Columbia, and you want to look up a certain cell that's the same so they're all uniform 51 tabs they're all exactly the same except for its state data for each one the indirect formula can help you a lot because you can change a formula that looks up the first sheet sheet number one cell a3 and you can put that inside indirect put quotes around it and then suddenly you can manipulate that to say copy that formula and make it sheet one sheet two sheet three sheet four sheet five sheet 51, and you will in a nanosecond put in a column that number in 51 rows so you can look at it. And, and you can do that with any, any any element in that spreadsheet. It's a fascinating. So it, just remember, if you try indirect anything, do a lookup in a formula in a sheet that you're not looking at. Just go there and go equals, go to sheet three, pick a number, hit return. You'll say, it'll say equals sheet three, maybe exclamation mark, A3. Then put that inside a formula, indirect with parentheses around it and quotes. 
and then play with it a bit. Anything that you change in there, and as long as you respect that it's taking that thing that's in the quotes and indirectly doing it, very powerful. Very powerful for little lookups on things. So I'm glad you asked that. I hope I didn't Excellent. go too far. It's a no, great form. It's a great trick. Great no, trick. I, uh, Actually, I taught me that. And uh, I've been working with Excel since I graduated and you know during college and graduated college. And it, it's extremely powerful. And you know, when you talk about an agency who has uh, a lot of data on their clients, a lot of data on property, and uh, and the the idea that you can glean learnings from this data if you delve into it, um, uh, just taking some of these little little th- little learnings like this can really be uh, life changing, agency changing, uh, send you off in a whole different direction. Uh, so I think it's I think it's great. Yeah, thank you for sharing that. Uh, my favorite formula, which I won't get into on what it is, I'll just mention it because I don't think I'd explain it as well as you did, is VLOOKUP. Uh, and that's that's one I've used uh, for years and years, and it's it's a great formula. So I'll just say that's another one. <laughs> very, very good. I use that all, all, all the time. Yeah. Oh, good, good. Uh, we're in good company then. Um, well, Paul, this was amazing. I think uh, I've learned a tremendous amount from you uh, through your post, through this conversation. Uh, I really enjoy it. And, and I hope our, our audience enjoyed it as well. And we'll take a closer look at uh, their state uh, state uh, data and maybe talk to their state association if they're a member of Big Eye uh, and request this type of information. And, and is that what they can do? They can just uh, talk to their state association exec and, and see if they have it? Exactly. The, the probability is that your state does and they release it to you. So when I give it to a state, um, they distribute it to their members, right? So I turn over the, the copyright and the format and all that stuff. It becomes theirs. And some of the states like New York and Connecticut, they actually put their own kind of cover page onto it and, and their own style. But the analysts, the analysis and the work is mine. So yeah, check with your state. Chances are that they do have it. And if you missed it in a newsletter or whatever, um, they'll give it to you. Um, the quarterly is a smaller number of states. I'm at 15 states with that. Um, hope that grows because I find that data fascinating and knowing the trends of, of what's happening. Um, and then the last thing is I'm working with some of the states on an individual insurance company look, which will be coming um, in 2023, where all of the data that you see in the annual summary, the idea of the individual insurance company is the what we call a snapshot. Look at the insurance company on all of those attributes in the state and nationally for its group and the policy issuing company, but just do it for that company, right? So you know what the marketplace summary says, the average is. How does this company look on everything from loss ratio to commissions to what states they operate in? Hmm. So, um, yeah, more to come on that. So just ask your big guy state and everybody who's a big guy member has access to the national version of the report. So you can get that on the National Association website. You log in. Um, Chris Boggs spearheads that at the National Big Eye. Um, so every member agency has access to it. That's a, a member in any of the states can get the national version. Excellent. Thank you for that tip. And uh, to the audience who's listening, uh, check it out. See if it's something that uh, a tool that you can help, use to help your agency. Uh, well, again, uh, thanks, Paul. As we finish up here, are there any final thoughts that you have or uh, any uh, any uh, extra words of wisdom you want to share with our audience? 
Oh, no, I wish I had some some real pearl of wisdom, but I, I, I feel like my advice to everybody I live every day, and that is, you might not know what you're looking for, but it will probably raise a question. And the question is part of the process. And the question usually leads to something you didn't expect that's good for whatever you're doing. So um, look at the data, page through the data. Don't don't lose where that report is if you print it out, because you'll be surprised as to what new thought will come from just looking at the industry data. We have a, a blessed industry that way. Most industries would have no way of knowing what we know about our competitors and our options for product providers. So take advantage of it. Maybe that's my pearl of wisdom. Take advantage of the data. Excellent. Thank you. And if if there's someone listening and they'd like to get in touch with you, what's the best way to do that for them? Oh, that's real easy. Just Paul at realinsurancesc.com. Um, same as the website, Real Insurance Solutions Consulting. So we shorten that to sc.com and just Paul. Um, and and I'll, I'll respond to your email. Happy to help anybody. And if you're just curious and you want tip as to what direction to go and I'm all about that. Excellent. Well, I appreciate that very much. Thank you for your time today. Thank you for sharing your experience, your knowledge with, uh, with the audience. And to everyone who's listening today, thank you for tuning in. I really appreciate it. If you enjoyed the episode, please uh, give it a like. Uh, also, we'd welcome any reviews you have as well. Any feedback too. Uh, thanks again for listening in and have a great day, everybody. Stay safe out there. Take care.